I hope you have a Bible with you today. Let's open them up over to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Romans, chapter 1. I've entitled this message today, Getting More Than Heaven Itself. Getting More Than Heaven Itself. Several years ago, maybe some of you saw this video online. I guarantee you didn't see it on TV because it was a German commercial. But several years ago, there was a video where the adult daughter was fixing dinner with her senior dad. He's there busy chopping things up on a a seemingly cutting board. And uh, she was asking him how he liked the iPad that they bought for him. And as the video continues, to her surprise, he's using the iPad as a cutting board. He chopped several vegetables on it. Did any of you see this, by the way? Some of you, okay. He chopped several vegetables on it, puts it under the faucet to rinse it, and then puts it into the dishwasher. She stands in shock. He obviously did not know what he had in his hands, and he didn't know what it could do. What is this thing? Well, I'll just, whatever with this. Well, you know, folks, the gift of salvation is a lot like that. We don't know what it is we have in our hands in our lives, and we don't know what it can do. So we are exploring that today. And the title of the message, Getting More Than Heaven Itself. I want you to go away from the message today understanding that as absolutely awesome and satisfactory it is to just have the escape of hell to an eternity in heaven, that is a marvelous thing, but God, when he saves us, he even gives us more. He even gives us more than that. We've been studying here in Romans for two weeks. Let's look back at Romans chapter one, and very quick review from last time. The apostle Paul writes in verse 14, I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Now this was a debt he felt he needed to pay to mankind because all mankind was in need of salvation. He had the answer and he felt indebted to tell them the answer and to explain it to them. And then he says in uh, verse 15, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Now, he's not referring to so much preaching the gospel to the believers there, but to the people in Rome. Of course, Rome was the great place that it was in the day. It was the capital of the world, and um, he was ready to preach the gospel there. Then he says in verse 16, for I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, by the way, it refers to Not only the gospel, but it refers to one thing, it. Do you see that? For it is the power of God and to salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in other words, in the gospel, in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So what we see is we see in verse 16, we see the right message. The right message. What is the right message? It is the gospel. The word gospel means the good news. The good news. All right? Now what is the good news? Well, let me briefly explain it to you right now and then you'll understand a little bit about it. I like to explain it this way. This is what made sense to me when I first understood it. If this hand were to represent you and me and this wallet was to represent all the things we do wrong, those are called sins. Now, 
God loves us in spite of the fact that we are sinners. We have violated, we have broken God's law, okay? We have gone against what God says. We have rebellion in us. See, before you can understand the good news, you have to understand the bad news. And this is the bad news. We're all sinners. And because we're sinners, the Bible says the wages are the penalty of that sin. Because we've sinned against God, there's a debt that has to be paid, the wages of sin being death. We would have to die, not only physically, but we'd have to be separated from God forever, paying for that sin in hell, in actual hell. The wages of sin is not good works. The wages of sin is not rituals or sacraments or ordinances. The wages of sin, there's only one thing, death. You see, heaven, friend, is a perfect place. To get there, you have to be perfect. And guess what? There's not a one of us who is perfect. We are all sinners. We are all sinners. And therefore, we have that debt to pay. Now, the Bible says, because you got to be perfect to get to heaven, of course, then therefore, there's nothing we could do because you could try to live a good life, a perfect life even, but the fact that you've sinned, you're separated from God, you need a payment for that sin. To get to heaven, the sin has to be removed. So then what are you going to do? Well, there's nothing you can do in yourself. There's nothing. The Bible says, as you notice up here, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Your good works won't help you. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, if we're sinners and we are guilty and we are condemned and the best I can do will not help me get rid of that sin, then I am in a very terrible place. But here's the good news. Because God so loved the world, that's you and me, He took on flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus went to the cross and he died and he paid for all of your sin, all of my sin. Not only what we've done to this point, but what we'll do to the day we die. Jesus paid it all. We sing to him. And he died and he was buried. And three days later, he rose from the grave. And the scriptures say this, if you will believe in him, that word means to trust in him or rely upon him, He will save you that moment. He will give you everlasting life. The right message is the gospel. The gospel is this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. All right? So that is what the gospel is. The right response to the gospel is to believe or to trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. And by the way, you notice in verse 16, It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, that message, for it is the power of God unto salvation, here you go, to everyone that believeth, to believe, to trust in. That's the only condition necessary to bringing salvation to you. As a matter of fact, God won't accept anything else. It's all there is. He that believeth on him, the Bible says, is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So there is, we see in verse 16, we not only see the condition of believing, we also see in that the sufficiency of believing. What am I saying? As we covered last week in detail, all you can do is believe. And if you add anything to believing, You don't have the gospel. You now have another message that will not bring salvation to you. 
So you hear people say all the time, well, you have to turn from all your sins, okay? You have to go before people and you have to physically confess and say it, all right? Well, what about people who can't speak? Not only that, but there are people in the Bible, it's recorded that they did believe, but they didn't confess. No, it's believing. It's believing that brings salvation. Should we, once we're saved, confess? Yes, we should confess that we've trusted Christ. We should let people know. But that's not a condition to being saved, okay? That's a good response once we're saved. And not always, but many times it's a natural response to that fact. We want to let somebody know what happened to us. But letting somebody know what happened to you, you notice that's after it happened to you. Do you get it? So believing brings salvation, Is it good for us to let people know we trust in Christ? Yes, but that's not a condition to getting saved. It's a good response to being saved. You know, I trusted Christ as my Savior on a Wednesday night at a meeting, and right away, no one showed me any verses like Romans 10, 9, and 10 about confessing with the mouth or whatever. Right away, I just, man, I was excited to tell people. I can remember when I got home that night, I walked in my front door, Roman Catholic family. Probably not the best way to handle it, but you know what? Man, I was pumped. I was excited. And I walked in with a little bit of truth, but that little truth was the dynamite of God, where it says here, the power of God into salvation, the word power, dunamis. We get our word dynamite. And I walked in the front door and I said, Mom, Pop, guess what? I know I'm going to heaven when I die. That's what I said. And my mom from the kitchen said, you can't know that. I said, oh, I do. And I showed her 1 John 5, 13. Well, of course, that started a series of issues in our family. But you know what? My entire family ended up trusting Christ the Savior. Oh, I'd like to say I led them to Christ. I didn't necessarily do that. I may have had a hand in it. But uh, they all trusted Christ as Savior. Here's the point. Here's the point. The right response to salvation is that you simply trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. That's the only thing that brings salvation. Now, if this is true and brings salvation, then to add anything to the gospel makes it a false message. Then you notice in verse 17, it says, For therein, in other words, in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. What does that mean, from faith to faith? I think it's saying this, and in other words, the Christian life, it begins by faith, and then the Christian life is lived out by faith from beginning to end. You start the Christian life by faith, you live the Christian life by faith, all the way to the end. That's how we should live as believers, all right? Faith, faith is the issue, faith. Do you trust in Christ? You see, how do you get saved? By putting your faith in Jesus Christ. How do you live by faith? the Christian life, by walking by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like we trusted him to get to heaven, then we live the Christian life by trusting him each and every day to empower us and strengthen us, to give us the ability to live for him. Not because we have to, but because we many times delight to. And I'll say more about that in a few minutes. So we see the right message, the gospel. We see the right response, the sufficiency of believing. And third, we see the right result. What does believing result in? It's the power of God into salvation. Salvation. 
Now, this is the right result. And let me say, this is where we're going to spend our time today. This is an interesting word, the word salvation. It's like that iPad that the older dad was given. He didn't know everything that he had in his hand, what it could accomplish. Now, I do a lot of my ministry now. I do it on the, on the iPad. This is the iPad Pro, a 12.9. And I, I preach from it. I can study on it. I can prepare messages. I was, my wife and I were away at a pastor's, pastor's and pastor's wife conference this last uh, Monday through Friday. And uh, I don't have a laptop. This is all I took with me. And I was able to prepare this week my Sunday message. Oh, I finished it yesterday at home. But I was able to work on it during the week. And I can do a lot on here. My, my planning, my email, I can even make phone calls on it. But here's the point. Most people say, oh, piece of glass, what good is that? Well, once you understand what you can accomplish with it, it's a lot of good. It's a lot of good. And you know what, folks? Once you understand salvation, it'll start meaning a whole lot more to you. Now, it's wonderful that when you trust Christ, you have eternal life. And that would be enough. But God says, no, no. No, no, you get more than heaven itself when you get saved. And so that's what we're looking at. This word, this term, you see it in the Bible, salvation. Salvation is the work of God when we believe the gospel. That is what God does. He saves us. Now, the word salvation, it means deliverance, okay? It means deliverance. That's this in its simplest form. And it means to deliver from something to something else. Now, in the case of salvation, we are delivered from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven. When? When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's all there is to it. Your good works have no part. It's you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. We like to say around here, you are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. All right? That is what the gospel is. The Old Schofield Reference Bible, it says this, the Hebrew and Greek words for salvation imply the ideas of deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, and soundness. Salvation is the great inclusive word of the gospel gathering into itself all the redemptive acts and processes as justification, redemption, grace, propitiation, imputation, forgiveness, sanctification, and glorification. By the way, that is a fabulous note. By the way, if you've got to have a study Bible, I still recommend the old Schofield over all others. Oh, listen, the notes are not perfect. We know that. There's some things in there that we would disagree with. But overall, the scholarship and what you find, you know, a lot of people, those words I just read, even Christians, they'll hear that and they'll go, huh? What are those things? Well, you know why? You know why you don't know what they are? It's because most study Bibles don't define any of that stuff nowadays. They just are things like, you feeling blue today? Turn to Jesus. You know, he'll help you. Hey, I get that. Give me some scholarship to where I can grow and learn as a Christian. All right? Okay, so what is this issue of salvation? Why is it so magnificent? Well, first of all, it is deliverance. That's what salvation means. It is deliverance from the penalty, from the penalty of sin. As I've already mentioned earlier, the wages of sin is death. This deliverance from the penalty of sin, it's called justification, justification. This secures heaven for us. The word justification means to be declared as righteous. 
Being justified is not the same as being saved. Justification is a result of being saved. When you trust in Jesus Christ the Savior, the payment he made is put to your account and you have no guilt in the eyes of God. You've been declared as righteous. You've been declared as righteous by the judge of heaven. When you trust Christ the Savior, God looks at you, he's the judge of heaven, and he brings down his gavel and he says, not guilty. Man, for how long? Forever. How awesome is that? That's justification. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You notice salvation's a gift. It's not based on earning it or deserving it. It's based on grace, God's unmerited favor. Romans 3.28, you're in Romans. Look at Romans 3.28 with me. Look at it. Beware of these who are teaching today lordship salvation or discipleship salvation or bilateral salvation. In other words, bilateral meaning God does his part, I do mine. No, friends, it's all of God. He did all the work. All he's asking us to do is trust in him that he did it for us. And that brings salvation. Romans 3.28, it says, therefore we conclude that a man is justified, declared righteous. How? By faith. Notice what it says, without the deeds of the law, apart from the commandments, okay? So good works, and there's no higher good works than the commandments. Good works have no part in saving you. You're saved by faith, apart from good works. In Acts chapter 13, you can turn there if you'd like, Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39, Paul is preaching there, and I just love, love, love these verses. Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39, he says this, be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, he's referring to Jesus, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness, the sending away of sins. Wow. And by him, by Jesus, look what it says, all that believe are justified from how many things? All things. Do you believe that? By which we could not be justified by the law of Moses, by the commandments. You trust Christ the Savior, you are justified. You are declared righteous from all things. All things. All things. That means, listen, I have no problem saying this. That means that there is no, once you've trusted Christ as Savior, there is nothing you could ever do in your entire life to undo your salvation. Amen. Once you are saved, you're saved forever. Why? Because he has declared you as righteous from everything you'll ever do wrong. And listen, if he's not going to hold anything against you, then what's going to keep you out of heaven? Oh, he did this, he did that. He wasn't faithful in this. He walked away from his marriage. Now, I'm not, I'm not endorsing any of these things. God never endorses sin, as we're going to see in just a moment. But if all your sins have been taken care of, they've been taken care of. And I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Okay? Justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So when you trust Christ the Savior, you have deliverance from the penalty of sin. Your sins, you will never be punished in eternity for your 
sins. It's been taken care of. What a marvelous truth that is. But it doesn't stop there. And that's where a lot of people stop. They think, see, religion teaches heaven is the goal. Did you know that? We were raised that way. We have to do something. What do I need to do to get to heaven? In other words, heaven would be the goal. God says, no, 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 you got it turned around. Heaven's not the goal. Heaven is the beginning. I've got marvelous things in store for you now that you're a child of God and all your sins are under the blood. Which leads us to our second truth. It is deliverance from the power of sin. When you get saved, God has not only delivered you from the penalty of sin, he's delivered you from the power of sin. And that's what our, by the way, our Are You Addiction Recovery Program, that's what it's all about. To teach us how to experience that deliverance from the power of sin in our lives. This is called sanctification. Sanctification. We have been, and the word sanctify means to be set apart, to be made pure and holy. When you trust Christ the Savior, you have been not only justified, you've been sanctified, you've been set apart, you've been made pure and holy. Now, we have been set apart to God and made pure and holy. This has to do with how we live our lives and what God wants to do in our lives. That's what sanctification is about. It begins when we get saved, but then the Christian life is a life of maturing and growing in that salvation. That's what Christian life sanctification is about. We have been set apart to God. We as believers are being set apart to God and purified more and more in our lives as we live for Christ. It's not automatic, but God, friend, listen, this is the truth of it. Now, when you get saved, just like before you were saved, you had the free will, the ability to choose whether you were going to trust Christ to save you or not. When you get saved, that ability to choose to cooperate with God or not did not go away. A lot of people are saying, oh no, it goes away once you're saved. It's amazing. They're not Calvinists before they trust Christ, but after they get saved, they become Calvinists in their theology. It's craziness, okay? Now, here's the truth of it. You had a choice whether you're going to trust Christ as Savior or not. When you get saved, you have a choice whether you're going to cooperate with God and what he wants to do in your life. You have been set apart. He wants us to be more and more set apart to him in our everyday lives. In other words, he wants our lives to become more godly, more holy. But here's the truth. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit takes a hold of you and me, and he wants to start bringing us to maturity. Okay? And he starts pulling on us. But you can resist the Holy Spirit. It's not smart, but here's the truth of it. Every time we sin, we're resisting the Holy Spirit. He would never lead us to sin. So we have been set apart. We are being set apart more and more and purified the more we cooperate with the Lord. And we will one day be completely set apart from our old natures when we die. Think about that. Boy, that's a wonderful part of salvation, isn't it? One day it's going to come for those of us who are believers that one day we will never again struggle with sin, ever, ever. It'll be past, okay? You're going to shed your sin nature when you die or when you get raptured. Man, that is glory right there. That is good news, isn't it? Okay? 
You might say, well, I'm not so much concerned about me. I'm concerned about the people around me. Man, they're really bad. Well, <laughs> guess what? Hate to say it, but they're probably thinking the same thing about you. <laughs> if we cooperate with God, he will transform our lives. Folks, this came with getting saved. That ability is there. How is that done? The Holy Spirit himself, God himself, comes to live inside our bodies according to the scriptures. And not only that, but God gave us a brand new nature. Whereas before we were saved, all we had was a sin nature. When you get saved, you now have a new nature. Now the sin nature is still there. That's why we still sin. And there's a battle between the two. But we're going to talk about right now how to have victory over that old nature. And God wants that for you and me. And he wants us to grow. Okay? Listen, I have, I have a long way to go as a, as a believer in my Christian life. But I can tell you this. God has done a work in my life these 40-some years I've been saved. And I'm glad he has. And he could have probably done a much bigger work. I'm sure he could have if I would cooperate with him more, moment by moment. But that's one of the challenges of the Christian life. We have to learn to walk by faith. Look with me to chapter six of Romans. We'll get, obviously this is coming in the future study here in Romans, but we're kind of getting a sneak preview, getting a taste of this. Romans chapter six, Paul says this, knowing this, that our old man, okay, now that's not a disrespectful Description of your dad. Boy, I hate it when I hear kids say that. Now, I haven't heard it in years, thank God. And I mean that. Yeah, my old man this, my old man that. Shame on you. Okay? The reason you got such a stinky attitude is you don't respect your parents the way you should. Okay? It's wrong. Knowing this, that our old man, that refers to your old nature, is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed, and that means rendered inoperative, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now Paul's writing to the Roman believers, and he said, when you got saved, your old nature, positionally, in other words, the power of it, it died. You were crucified. Okay, consider your old nature, your old man, gone. Now that's one of the keys to living a Christian life. Once you get saved, you think, okay, I'm saved now. I, I've been crucified with Christ, Galatians chapter 2, all right? I don't want to live the way I did before I was saved. I have a new life in Christ. That's the joy of the Christian life. That's how he wants us to think as it comes out here in our text. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. People say sometimes they'll hear about our church or our gospel presentation and they'll say, oh, those people believe trust Christ as Savior, just go out and live in sin. You're a deceiver if that's what you say. Okay? Never since the day this church was founded did we ever believe that. Ever. Ever. We as Christians should live for Christ, but it's not a guarantee we'll live for Christ, but it is a should. Ephesians 2.10. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. He that is dead is freed from sin. Consider your old nature to be dead. And it's like, well, you know what? Therefore, what does that mean? That means the bondage of the old sin nature has been broken and you don't have to yield to it any longer. When we do, it's, it's choice. It's choice. 
Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but that in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, just like that, reckon ye also yourselves. You see, Paul was raised in Georgia. It says reckon. Likewise, reckon. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word reckon means count on this or rely upon it or think this. The idea is think this way. Okay? See yourself as, wait a minute, when I got saved, I died. I don't have to live in that junk anymore. I don't have to live in that cesspool of sin any longer. I died. I have a new life to live. I have a new nature to live by. That's how God wants me to live, yeah. And as we do, we are fulfilling God's will for us in this wonderful Christian life. And you could term that our sanctification. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Stop right there. A lot of people read this and they don't even know what it says. You notice he says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, why would he say that to believers if it was automatic for those believers, if they were really saved, that they wouldn't do that? Why does he say, don't let that happen? (laughs) If by the fact that they're saved, it doesn't happen to save people, like a lot of people are preaching today. Well, if you're saved, you won't do this. If you're saved, you won't do that. If you're saved, you won't do that. Wait a minute. Paul says, oh, No, you're saved, but don't let it happen. That means you still can, but you shouldn't. Do you get this? This is huge. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. That means to rule in your body. That means to control. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members, your body parts, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Here's the, my, the way it should be. Lord, when I got saved, I want to re- rely upon the fact that I died. And Lord, now that I'm alive and I have eternal life and I have a new life to live, Lord, I want you to take my body and I want you to use it to bring glory to Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what we believe. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. It doesn't have to be. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law. You are under grace, okay? So what is the way to victory in this passage? Okay, well, first, count on the fact that the old nature has been crucified and its power has been rendered idle in your life. Somebody likens it to driving a motorcycle, okay? On motorcycles, there's a clutch. If there wasn't a clutch, you'd turn on the the accelerator and the vehicle would never stop. It would just keep going, full blast. But there's a clutch there. And when you push down on the clutch, it disengages the drive. Guess what? When you got saved, you received the spiritual clutch. And now, yes, the sin nature's still there, but the spiritual clutch, the Holy Spirit and the new nature inside of us, we do not have to engage in sin. It's our choice when we do it. And we all do it. 
And we're not talking about some list of 10 very perverse things. We are talking about all sin, and those can be sins of the mind and attitude. They can not only be, and by the way, this will sink your ship if you think you're so godly you don't sin anymore. They can not only be sins of commission, which are things we deliberately do, they can be sins of omission, which are things we ought to do that we don't do. Okay? Sin is sin. Sin is sin. God says this, though. You got saved, and guess what? As you walk with me, as you walk in fellowship with me, as you walk according to the new nature, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16. Walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Paul doesn't say the lusts of the flesh went away when you got saved. He says, no, just the opposite. The only way you can live in victory over the old nature, the flesh, is to walk in the spirit. And as I walk by faith in the Lord, depending upon him, as I'm living that way, I can't be living the sinful way at the same time. Now, let me say this, dear friend. I can remember years ago counseling a man who was a, had been an alcoholic for decades. And as we counseled, and, and this is what I said, I think his name was Jim, and I said, Jim, I said, listen, getting over, he was so discouraged. He kept falling back, falling back into it. I said, it's going to be moment by moment. That's how you have to learn to live, moment by moment, by faith in the Lord. And if you live one moment of victory, it's one moment you didn't live in defeat. Do you see it? There's hope for us as believers. This is part of our sanctification. And if you live an hour in victory, it's an hour you didn't live in defeat. And if you live a half a day, it's a half a day. And if you live a whole day, it's a whole day that you didn't live in defeat. And all of a sudden he starts seeing it. Says, yeah, one, one little step, one little step. And it was just a matter of years, completely delivered from alcohol, and he was teaching a Sunday school class in his church. Folks, this is not unique. This is there for all of us to have. You struggling with certain things in your life, it's moment by moment. That's where the victory is found. So count on the fact that the old nature's been crucified. Number two, trust or depend upon the Lord for strength to have victory and live for him. And number three, obey. Obey his word. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Our third aspect of salvation is the deliverance from the very presence of sin. Deliverance from the presence of sin. This is called glorification. Glorification. It is the ultimate salvation. This will happen one day when we get our new glorified bodies at the rapture. All right? When we die, we we shed our old natures, okay? And one day we're going to get a brand new body at the rapture, and that will be a glorified body. It will be a glorified body. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. See, people say, well, you know, I'm saved, so what? I'm saved, so what? Maybe you see your salvation like that scene your dad saw the iPad. Oh, I got it, so big deal. Who cares? Well, friend... God cares. You should care. This salvation thing that we have is the greatest thing in all the universe. It's why the Bible calls it so great salvation. That word great, that's an interesting word in our language. We, in the last couple decades, we started using the word mega, you know, mega size fries or 
mega this or mega that, maybe the vitamins you take or mega dose or something like that. Okay, mega. Oh, that word great means mega. So great salvation. We have a mega salvation. There's nothing like it anywhere. Philippians 3.20, for our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies and make it that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. We're going to have bodies just like Jesus. He has a glorious one. This is glorification. According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, covered a lot of ground today. I hope you've gotten it. But here's the point. All of these truths go into effect the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. They all start that very moment, okay? And it's a wonderful thing. No wonder the word gospel means good news. It is good news. And all God's asking you to do is to believe or trust in Jesus Christ that he's paid for all your sins. He did all the work. He's offering you the gift of eternal life. We see this, for by grace are you saved through faith. That's all faith. And not not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God is offering to you and me the gift of salvation. Have you ever received it? Have you ever received it? God's saying, here it is. If my Bible was eternal life, God is saying, I bought and paid for this. I want to give it to you as a gift. Will you take it? People say today, well, no, no, I I don't know if I'd be able to live up to it. What? God didn't say you have to live up to anything. It's a gift. If he said, okay, if you take it, now you're going to have to do this and this and this. No, that's a contract. It's a gift. That's too good to be true. But it is true. It's a gift. It's been paid for. You can have it. Will you take it? Well, I'm, I'm too bad. It's a gift. It's a gift. You are too bad. All of us are. And God says, you could never earn it. That's why it's a gift. Please, trust Christ, friend, if you never have. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.